Welcome in to the Think Deeper podcast presented by Focus Press. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined, as always, by Will Harab and Joe Wilkie. This week, we're going to be talking about the Bible, uh, kind of very foundational stuff, stuff that we need to make sure every Christian has shored up because uh, a lot rides on it. But before we get into that, last week we announced a giveaway for uh, for the, uh, I was told not to call it Will's Family Worship Guide, the Family Worship Guide by <laughs> Will. Uh, and so I really want to thank everybody for the comments. Uh, we had a really uh, good response to it. Uh, and and it was, it was a lot of fun for us. I made the uh, comment stipulation comment with one of your favorite episodes and to see uh, the things that were listed there were a few on there that it was kind of like I, I didn't think that was anybody's favorite I thought that was just kind of a uh, one that they got lost in the shuffle but uh, that was that was really neat to see a lot of love for our... there's a couple on go ahead I was just gonna say there's a couple on there I don't remember recording like, <laughs> we're, I mean, I'm gonna have to go back and listen. We're so almost 80, 80 episodes in. Yeah, yeah like there, we, yeah. we've done a lot of stuff, so it's uh, uh, easy to forget. Uh, there were quite, uh, there were a few about the uh, male and female, um, kind of the gender roles uh, episodes we did last year. Those have always been popular, um, but uh, so I wasn't surprised to see that. But some of the other ones, uh, I was. So that's that was really cool to see. So I want to thank everybody for doing that. Uh, we dropped all of your names into the randomizer, and what it came up to the top was Andrea Davis. Andrea Davis. So congratulations. Uh, message us on the Facebook page and uh, get us an address, and we will get you one of those family worship guides out. So thanks to everybody who participated. Uh, we do like doing this from time to time as a thank you uh, for loyal listeners. And uh, yeah, so keep an eye out for the next one. We'll probably do something later this year. Uh, we've got more books coming out eventually, and so we'll... Uh, certainly be pushing those as well. Uh, I think that's all we got for our intro. Will, you want to get us into today's episode? Yeah, yeah. So basically we're asking the question, can we trust the Bible? And and this is a question that I would imagine a lot of our listeners probably um, have maybe sat through a series, watched videos, read books, whatever, on this very topic. But as somebody who grew up, uh, obviously with with Brad here being my dad and, and Christian apologetics being a lot of what he talks about, I've just I had just always and still kind of to some extent take for granted the fact that there are a lot of people who sit in in church buildings on Sunday mornings who would call themselves Christians who don't really know why we can trust the Bible and how we can know the Bible is inspired. They've just heard. Yep, the, you know the Bible is the inspired word of God. Yep, the Bible is the foundation of our faith, and that's really the extent to which they 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 know that. And so, you know, again, as somebody with Brad being my dad, I've of course been been blessed with you know he's he's spoken, he's got a lesson about the scientific accuracy of the Bible, and and I've I've been exposed to a lot of the proofs and reasons as to why we can trust the Bible, but not everybody has, and so we wanted to devote this episode to getting down into the details of why we can trust the Bible, how we know that it's inspired, why it's not just something that we blindly put our faith in and say, yep, you know, I, I, I'm I'm sure the Bible's inspired because 2 Timothy 3 tells us that it's inspired. Obviously, we believe that, but why? Because the thing about this is, when you think about young people walking away from the faith, when you think about young people losing faith in the Bible, why do they do so? They do so because of the kind of modern day attacks on the Bible, right? The the position that it's it's no different than any other uh, religious book. It's no different than the Quran. It's no different than the Book of Mormon. It's no different than 
fill in the blank of, of an of an uh, older ancient document, what makes your Bible special? There was an article I wanted to to kind of quote is from back in 2014, but it was a Newsweek article where the author Kurt Eichenwald, um, again, this is Newsweek. He boldly stated the Bible is, quote, loaded with contradictions and translation errors, wasn't written by witnesses and includes words added by unknown scribes to inject church orthodoxy. Um, that was just one quote. Basically, the entire article, the, the article was titled The Bible, So Misunderstood It's a Sin. Just an attack on the Bible, essentially. And the problem is that a lot of young people are finding articles like this. They're hearing celebrities, you know, kind of make light of the Bible. And 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 so they're, they're buying into it is the point. And they don't know why is this, you know, why is this something we can trust? And I counted to this is our 82nd episode, unless I miscounted, which is possible. But this this is our 82nd episode that we've done for Think Deeper. If we can't trust the Bible and if we don't know for sure that the Bible is inspired and if it's not inspired, guess how many of these 82 episodes matter? None of them. They don't matter at all. The Bible literally is the foundation for why we believe uh, modesty matters, why we believe that there are gender roles uh, for males and females within, obviously, the church, but also within marriages. The Bible is the foundation for why we believe, um, you know, the certain things we've talked about, about raising kids and everything we've talked about on this podcast, reproduction. And of course, those were some of our more popular episodes. The Bible is the foundation. And so if we can't trust the Bible, if the Bible is one of those things that's like, yeah, we believe it's inspired, but we don't really know why. We are on a very shaky foundation. Um, and so we, we need to know more. If you're listening to this and, and you're like, yeah, I, I believe the Bible's inspired, but I don't really know why. This is the episode for you because we need to know why. It's one of those things that if you don't know why, I've, I've, I've told young people, if you don't know why you believe God exists, you might as well not even believe that he exists. Like, you know, you hear that that concept of, of faith being a blind leap. And we know Hebrews eleven six tells us without faith, it's impossible to him. So yes, there is a certain level of faith. Doesn't mean it's blind. Doesn't mean we just have to blindly accept, oh yeah, the Bible's inspired without knowing why. So we've got a lot of things that we're going to get into with this episode. Again, the details, prophecies, uh, factual accuracy, scientific accuracy, archaeological discoveries that prove uh, things found in the Bible that really can just, again, shore up that foundation of why we can be confident in the Bible. But we want to start with a I guess a question about apologetics in general, uh, Christian apologetics, the the defense really of why do we believe the Bible is inspired, why we believe God exists, all these things. And there's kind of two schools of thought to this. And I'm going to hand it off to Joe to kind of, I guess, give his opinion on, on the, the two sides of this first. But you've got the sword versus the shield. Should Christian apologetics be used as a sword, obviously more so on the offensive end? Or should it be used more so as a shield simply to defend? So, Joe, get into if you want to elaborate a little bit more on that, but kind of get into why we're starting here with this part in the discussion. Yeah. Um, so we got a great friend. Shout out Dean. There's a lot of great work uh, in, in the apologetics field. Of course, your dad does. But Dean has been debating atheists and he's got a debate coming up, a big debate coming up in September uh, at a university. And, and he'll get on YouTube and kind of debate back and forth. And, and great brother. He's, he's very well studied, but of course, Dean takes the idea that apologetics kind of is a sword. We can use this to go attack somebody's atheist, I'm going to call it faith on their end, atheist faith, like that is their um, where they're coming from, and we can use apologetics to their study, and in that way, it's kind of a sword, right? We go out and we'll meet them on the battlefield and trade back and forth, well, what about this, and have you considered this idea, and this philosophy idea, and whatever else it is. On the shield end of it, we look at this is to shore up a Christian's faith. 
this is somebody who already believes in God, but maybe like you said, well, doesn't know why, doesn't know why the Bible is, is accurate or inspired by God or whatever else, like how that practically works. And so in that way, it's a shield to defend their faith and, and not something necessarily to go out. Now, somebody might say, well, why can't it be both? Which is fair. It, I think to a certain extent it can, but there's one specific passage that you kind of have to wrestle with because we have the idea that atheists and, and the non-believers and the agnostics, they will be convinced by our, uh, pretty much our highfalutin ideas and, and our, by our logic essentially and, and yeah. our logic and everything else. Couple, well, I should say there's two different things that, come, that go against that. First, you have in 1 Corinthians is it one or two. I always forget if it drops into the second chapter. I didn't come to you with these, you know, highfalutin ideas. I didn't come logic and, and things that the Greeks would understand. I came to you with the base things of the world, the things that everybody would cast aside. That is the gospel. So to one hand, he specifically says, I didn't come with these, with the logical side to try to convince you. The second passage would be Romans 1. And in 18 through 23, he talks about the progression of somebody going from rejecting God, not honoring God, not worshiping him as God. And, and we get into the homosexuality passage in there, but it really goes from they reject God and all the things that they've done, then idolatry, and then they serve themselves, which gets into all sorts of sin. But in that- Well, and the phrase is you, sorry, real quick. The phrase is you suppress the truth, that they're suppressing yes, the truth. They're suppressing That's the, the truth. And right before this, he talks about it was made known to them. It was evident to them. They have been shown this. It was made known to them. He says again, there's like five or six references to they knew it, they rejected it. So here's the question. Do they know it? Do atheists know that God exists and they're suppressing the truth? It was made evident to them. It was made known to them. And they just decided I would rather serve myself. Or do they genuinely not know in their ignorance? Romans 1 would seem to indicate everybody internally knows there's a God because it has been known. Step outside and look around, man. This didn't just poof. It didn't get here. There's no big bang. That's ridiculous. Everybody intrinsically knows this. And so when we're discussing these ideas of, can we trust the Bible and apologetics, we're going to have a, a part two kind of episode to this. And, and some of the things that people can, uh, we're going to have more on apologetics too. And of course, bring your dad in for some, and that may be down the road, but is it the sword to go out into attack or is it the shield? And Jack, you're the one that I probably should have let you introduce it. Cause you're the one that's really been kind of discussing this with us and hashing it out and, and such. I want to get your thoughts on it though, specifically as, as we're looking at it. Do you believe it should be? Can it be both? I guess would be the question I throw to you. Can it be a sword? Can it be a shield at the same time? I don't think it can be a sword uh, because you brought up the Corinthians text and he goes into 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. is It's not wisdom. It's not cleverly devised arguments. It's not any of that. It's the gospel. And you see every time they go out and preach in Acts and what Jesus told them at the end of Luke to go preach was the death, burial, and resurrection and repentance. And so it's, hey, this person claimed he was God and walked out of a grave, that means you need to repent and obey him. Like, that's the simplicity of the gospel message. And, of course, baptism and confession, all the things that follow along with that. But that, that it was those two elements, the resurrection and repentance. And so when he goes to Athens, it's, hey, you know, he talks about the unknown God and their culture a little bit, but he says, but then there was one who was resurrected, and, you know, he's calling to all people everywhere. They should repent. Acts 2, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. You need to repent. And, and... It's never, well, let me convince you why Jesus is more, you know, authoritative than Zeus. It's not. It's, look, if, if he walked out of the grave, none of the rest of this matters. And so, and again, as you say, in what Romans 1, we really have to believe it when it says that they know. Like, you either believe what God tells you there or you don't. And this wasn't a them 
in a certain culture and time and place. This is a universal principle of the creation is why people know. Because there's something here, you it know. It says I mean, they're the, without excuse in verse 20. Right. I mean, the, the classic right. cause and effect argument that we use in apologetics all the time is exactly what Romans 1 points to, of things exist, therefore somebody created it. And so you have to believe that, and when you believe that, there's so many reasons given as to why people don't believe in God. Well, it was the church was mean to them, or you know Christians are just hypocrites, and that's why they don't believe in God, or the, the scientific evidence is just too much not to believe in God. If we really believe Romans 1, it's not that. It's because they don't want to acknowledge God. It's because they don't want right. to worship Him. They don't want to give Him His due. They don't want to obey Him. They don't want to... Any of the things that we're supposed to do, they're, they're just not interested. And so... When you believe that, then you realize, oh, the message they need to hear is not... Because when, when you get that understanding correctly, then you can talk to the heart. Trying to talk to the head when the heart is shut off to it is very stupid. I mean, I've used the elephant, Jonathan Haidt's elephant analogy before. I just wrote on it the other day. It's a big deal in that we are driven by our heart. Our heart goes where it wants to go like an elephant. If you were riding an elephant, you might have a rope in your hand, but you're not guiding that thing. It goes wherever it wants to go. And so what your head does is go, I'm going to find a reason to believe why that's okay to be going that direction. And your, if your heart doesn't want to obey God, it's going to go there. And your head's going to go, okay, well, the Bible's probably not inspired anyway, so it's okay. Well, that how that changes our approach is stop trying to convince the rider on the elephant, hey, you're going the wrong direction. He doesn't have any control over it. Speak to the elephant. Speak to the heart that says, you know you're sinning. You know you're turned away from God. You know you need to repent. And then you can bring it back around on the backside to say, and by the way, it's true for all these reasons. And here's the evidence for this is the vitriol and just militant absolutely you know the all the, the atheists out there ricky gervais and kira knightley daniel radcliffe richard dawkins sam harris all these guys that you know it's not like that they're atheists and we don't know about it no they're atheists and they they make sure that we all know why they're atheists and why christians are stupid and they're very vocal about it and well it's they like, say the two hmm, principles of the new atheism is. are there is no god and i hate him uh, like, right. That's it. Which is which are contradictory. <laughs> which is contradictory. And you could because you think about uh, Joe. I think you've used this analogy before, so I will give you full credit for it. But you think about if if Joe, if you were pat, if you passionately believed that I was obese. Okay, I don't really care because I know I'm not obese, right? So you know, I'm not. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to sh- you know spew vitriol at you and and be hateful towards you because you think that I, you're wrong. I'm going to move on with my life because I'm not obese. If you think, and I don't even know, it, it, but if you hit on one of my insecurities, for instance, and you passionately believe that, I'm probably going to be a lot more defensive and, and and hateful towards you and more vitriolic towards you. Why? Because deep down, I'm like, okay, he, he might have a point here. Um, you know what I mean? And so yeah. to me, that's exactly what we're talking about with all these these vocal militant atheists that are spewing the vitriol is like, okay, if you, if you were really if you really truly believe that there was no God and something deep down inside of you is not thinking, okay, yeah, there probably is. You'd move on with your life and you wouldn't care that there's a bunch of misguided people out there, but no, these are people who are militant. These are people who want everybody to believe what they believe. Why? It's because they're insecure in their position. Yeah. It doesn't bother anybody that, uh, the kids believe in Santa Claus, right? I mean, like they're not, they're not out there going, here's all the arguments why Santa Claus is stupid. Like, it's it's this one that hits a little too close to home when so they when somebody believes in something they think imaginary. 
Yep. Well, it's Romans one, you know, speaking that it's the same with the LGBTQ. If you were truly okay with what you were doing, why are you trying to push it on everybody? Why are you so angry that, and the fact that we don't accept it, it's because it does. Because they know deep down. Yes. They know, they know Romans one speaks to that. They know. And it's the same thing here. So as we get into this and as we think about, can we trust the Bible? We felt that this was an important discussion to have. What is it a sword? Is it a shield? We believe that this is a shield because it kind of gets us into what you were saying earlier. Will. Before we leave it, yep. I, I want to make one last point. That when he sure, gives that sure. list that, you know, of LGBT is part of it, but all of the sins, greed and envy and strife and malice, all, all of those things, it says at the end in verse uh, 32, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. That's why it's so vitriolic is, yeah. is they know they stand condemned. And that's yeah. not a fun place to be when somebody says you're in the wrong and you're going to pay for it. Nobody likes that. That's where the whole don't judge me thing comes from. So that that's such an important real, verse in all of it. Real quick, because I know this is, might be going through some people's head when we're sitting up here saying, yeah, it's a, it's a shield, not a sword. Just to play the devil's advocate, somebody give the quick answer. Well, what about in Ephesians 6 where Paul says, the you know, take the sword of the spirit, right? I mean, you're, you're sitting here telling me the Bible, or I guess apologetics should be used as a shield, not a sword. What about that verse? So what would y'all have to say to that if somebody spouted that? I guess, uh, objection. I'd just say apologetics is not the gospel. I mean, the gospel is the sword, uh, you know, giving them the word, right. giving them that Jesus is Lord. He rose from the dead. You need to repent and, and obey him. Uh, that's the sword that we have. Um, and, and using a counterfeit sword, which is good argumentation, that, that it's not going to accomplish the same result. They would say Hebrews 4.12 as well. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Which I think in context is talking about Christ, yep. but either way, if you're going to use it, I would still say the same same answer applies. We're talking the gospel is to go out into the world. Revelation makes this clear. The gospel goes out into the world, and the gospel brings a sword. It brings, and Jesus said this, right? I'm, I'm not coming to bring peace, but a sword. It's going to divide. I mean, that's the gospel going out, and, and the way is, it does. it's going out to conquer. The only way you conquer is by having a war. Apologetics is, once again, the shield by which we defend our faith so as to know our our, our cause is just. We know what right. we're doing is right. We know it's scientifically backed, all of those things. Therefore, we're going to go out with the gospel. We're going to do that. So I do think that it helps the, again, it helps the faith build, but it's not going to convince them. Because here's the thing, what you win them to, or what you win them with is what you win them to. And if we win them by clever arguments, if we win them by scientific evidence, did we win them to Christ or did we win them to scientific evidence? Say, well, it's one and the same. Not really, not really. If we win them to Christ and they have a heart for God, that's the faith that will do Hebrews 11, all the amazing things in the hall of faith. Those things were done not because Abraham looked at the scientific evidence as to why God was going to resurrect Isaac or whatever when he goes to sacrifice. It's like, we're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. I don't know that this country, this far off country, I can't point to the scientific evidence. I can't Google the science, this, this country. All I know is God asked me to go there. So I feel like when we're one, and I'm not saying nobody's ever been won by science. So I just want to get that out of the way. We're not saying that nobody has ever been convinced, uh, convinced and and convicted and you know changed toward the gospel because of scientific evidence yes it happens but once again but you can win people to science and not to christ to me there's a difference though in case in point with with the episode that we are doing today about and you could i mean apologetics is a good way to describe this episode we're not doing it you know in the hopes that a militant atheist or somebody who's completely opposed to the bible is going to hear our episode and go oh okay cool now i believe the bible It'd be great if it happens, but we know that's probably not the case. Why are we doing this episode? It's for people. It, it's to shore up the the foundation for people who either might have doubts or maybe just aren't really sure why. 
you know, the case, there's a movie, God's Not Dead. And I think overall, it's a good movie. It's it's frustrating to me because, and if you haven't seen it, just the, the quick setup, there's a, a college freshman goes into this class. The the professor is a militant atheist, just hate, makes the statement like Jack is talking about, he hates God. And the, the young person is tasked with proving that God exists. Otherwise, he's going to get a failing grade. And the movie frustrates me because at the end of the movie, sorry to spoil it, it's been out for years. So if you haven't seen it, that's kind of on you. Um the the young person, the young freshman wins the argument and wins over his classmates who are the ones that he should have tried to be winning over the ones who were maybe doubting the ones who didn't really know for sure. He wins them over. They all stand up and say, God's not dead. But what frustrates me is that at the end of the movie, the professor also acknowledges that, you know, the young, you know, that that maybe God isn't dead or whatever. And what frustrates me is typically not always, but typically those militant professor atheists are not ever going to be the ones that acknowledge that ever. Uh, you know, the, the point of the movie should have been you convince the class, you convince the people that were maybe in question, the people that were doubting. You didn't convince the atheist because that's realistic, in my opinion. And because we were talking about this before we start, there's kind of two. We talked about how young people are losing faith in the Bible because of X, Y, Z reason. It's antiquated, old fashioned, whatever. And what we were talking about is there's, there's really two sides to this. There are the sides of, of one side where young people who genuinely are like, you know, I don't really know for sure. I'm, I'm kind of curious. Maybe I stumbled across an article, you know, maybe I haven't been taught these things. And so I really, I, I really am kind of doubting and, and there's a genuineness to it. What's the other side though? It's the young people who want to live however they want to. And so they're going to take whatever excuse they can. And the one that they're going to choose is, well, the Bible is just full of contradictions and errors or whatever. And that's what they're going to hide behind. Those are two, those are two completely different sides of the, again, genuine curiosity and or just the genuine doubt of, I haven't been taught versus I want to live how I want to. So let me find whatever example, whatever evidence I can as to why the Bible is, is, is error filled or is contradiction filled. Those are two different things. And so I don't know if you guys have anything to comment on that when we're talking about this, this concept of it being a shield, but that that's, that's what I'm trying to get across here is that. This is for the people to shore up their faith. This is for people who are not diametrically opposed simply because they want to live however they want to. Well, I wanted to add one more thing is one of the things that you do see with atheists that they can become convinced by the arguments is that doesn't make them a Christian. And famously, uh, Thomas B. Warren and Anthony Flew, Flew was like the biggest atheist in the world at the time. And Thomas B. Warren, one a man from the Churches of Christ, had a debate with him and handily won the debate by all accounts and later on flew said okay there is a god but he didn't become a christian and we're not trying to get people to believe there's a god we're trying to get people to repent and you know follow christ and give up their sins and give up their autonomy and die to self and everything the gospel includes and apologetics doesn't get somebody there you know that that guy begrudgingly because he saw the evidence he was more honest than most said okay i can't say anymore that there's not a god I'm not going to church. I'm not picking up the Bible and, and following Jesus. I'm, I'm not doing any of that, but fine. You you win the argument. There's That's that's not what we're aiming for. That should not be that's our not goal. enough. Right. right, and so we mentioned that it's, it's shoring up the faith of Christians, but I think it also is helpful in evangelism on the back end because, sure. you know, you can prick somebody's heart and say, Jesus is real, he rose from the dead, uh, and, and you need to repent of your sins, and... You know, they can go, okay, yeah, I, you know, I'm starting to see that. I'm starting to feel that. But, you know, are we really sure about this? Are we really sure the Bible's real? Are we really sure? Then you can say, yeah, you know, let me help your head get it. It's my, your mind around what your heart is starting to accept. And so uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we should lead with law. We should lead with convince, letting people see you are a sinner and that's a problem. 
Uh, and, and when you do that, then you come around on the backside and say, and, and this is valid to believe in, and, and there's good reason to believe in this, uh, that, that just kind of gives them reassurance, but it's not the gospel in itself. And I would say that's 1 Corinthians 15, right, of, of Paul giving all of these evidences of, yes, Christ was resurrected. He was seen by this many people, right, all these things. And that is to hit the heart of Christ was resurrected. We can prove that once that settles in. But like you said in Acts 2, it's more of you put to death the Christ. Yes, he's speaking to the Jews there who literally did do that. But I think that's in all of us. And so once again, to bring it, yes, this is not just a, a uh, an apologetics podcast or should it be a sword or shield? We do want to come around to can we trust the Bible, but it's all related because what we're who we're speaking to here, as Will said, and as Jack said, is maybe the Christians who need a little more shoring up or those that are just genuinely curious. I think there's a lot of young kids that have heard the narrative that these things are not true. So you'll see this on Facebook and I'll see some some Christian friends and their non-Christian friends will get on and go, the Bible's just ridiculous. We can't trust the Bible at all. It's not even inspired. But the more they're pushed on it, they know that why that's true. They've just been, they've heard that narrative, specifically in the public schools. You hear this, you read this in books, and so it becomes this talking point. We want to make sure we're not just to the flip side of, it becomes the talking point. Yes, we can trust the Bible. And the moment somebody pushes back on it, we go, uh, I don't know. We're here to help both sides of that. Those who are genuinely curious about or genuinely don't know. And those who, again, believe, but maybe aren't up. And so, Will, I'm going to turn it over to you. I want you to get us into the first part of the outline on this. Sounds daunting. I know we're almost 30 minutes in, but the first part of this part of the outline, which is prophecies in the Bible, because this is something that, in my opinion, you've got 40, I mean, not in my opinion, you've got 40 authors, 1500 years apart, seamless, seamless. I mean, and this gets into the prophecies of some of these things are seven, eight, 900 years ahead of time. Get us into some of those. And let me, and yeah, and I'll preface it with, listen, we could devote an entire episode to each one of these little mini categories that we've got set aside. We simply don't, you know, we're not, we're not going to devote a full episode to each one of these, but I would encourage everybody who's listening, let these be, you know, let these kind of pique your interest and to go find out more, to go research more. There's all kind of books uh, that maybe we can recommend some at the end, uh, convicted by Brad Harris, a great one. But um, I say that to say, again, we will hit these quickly and, you know, go, go look up some, uh, some more information afterwards if you feel so inclined. But yeah, so we're talking about prophecy here. We've got a few on here that it, it, if the Bible, there, there is no way that something that was written. So Micah 5.2 is where we'll start. Micah 5.2, most biblical scholars agree. Micah was written somewhere between 740 and 686 BC. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it, there, it is a it is a prophecy about where Jesus, where the Messiah was going to be born. And I'll read it. Uh, Micah 5, 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephathra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Very clearly there a prophecy about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Now, we know that Jesus was not born in 740 BC. Jesus was born right around 5 BC, right around the zero mark of when we transitioned from BC to AD. That's 700 years prior, 700 years prior to when Jesus was born. And so you think about you know the fact that if the Bible was faked, how on earth could something that was written 700 years before have accurately predicted just, I'm going to randomly select a city. Uh, I guess I'll pick Bethlehem. The 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 odds of, of Micah guessing that correctly are astronomically low. It simply would not have happened. And, you know, 
I'll let somebody play the devil's advocate here of, you know, I can hear somebody saying, well, why couldn't they have just come back and, and changed it later? Right. Maybe Micah said something else and, and they went back and changed it. Are you guys, I'm, I'm assuming you, you guys are familiar. This is a dumb question, but the Septuagint, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the, of the old Testament, when was that, I guess, discovered or, or, or dated back to 250 BC. So yes, it's a lot closer, but still 250 years prior to what? Prior to Jesus's birth, meaning still right. even so that is basically the earliest far back that somebody could have quote unquote changed it if, if they were going to change it still 300, almost 300 years ahead of time. You think about what happened in our country 300 years ago, if somebody had accurately predicted when, you know, President Joe Biden, what city he was going to be born in 300 years ago, that would be incredible. Um, and so that's that's just one example. I'll let you guys get into maybe some of the other ones here. But these are things that we can't overlook because we know it was written hundreds of years at the minimum, at the minimum 250 years ahead of time, accurately predicted where the most significant figure in the history of the world, what city he was going to be born in. That's not something you can just luckily guess into. Well, and with, with Jesus himself, there, there are a few of the things in his life that you can, that he could have had control over of you know prophecies that he can go and say uh, this says I was going to do this so I'm going to go do it I'm going to try and work my way into this role where you're born you don't have a lot of control over that you know that that is right. especially when you look at the circumstances of it his parents weren't they didn't live in Bethlehem right? they were they were right. from Nazareth they were forced to travel there right when she was pregnant and ready to give birth I mean like the way it all lined up was out of their control it was out of anybody's control to say oh, we're going to make this happen we're going to there's all these prophecies we're going to try and get this guy's life to line up with it I mean, it would be such a weird thing to do anyway but it's like when you start going down this rabbit trail of like how uh, how you would naturalistically naturalist I cannot say this word naturalistically naturalistically uh, from the naturalist viewpoint of you know that there's no miracles there's no supernatural power that it's all natural and, and there's a natural explanation no there's not there, there's no way somebody could have rigged their life to hit even this prophecy much less all of the other ones you see Isaiah seven fourteen. that's another one talking about the virgin birth therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name. Which similarly, Emmanuel. Jesus would have had no control over over who's giving birth to him. Nobody right? could have had any control. That's exactly Again, right. that's another one. The parents can't rig that because nobody had ever done it before, or since. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, we get into. I mean, there's there's so many Zechariah 11, 12, 13. Well, we well, can let, go let me let me hit Zechariah eleven real quick because okay, to me this it. one has always been the most fascinating. And again, these are just the three that that we decided we're going to hit on because they're to me the most significant. But there's. I think there's what 400 something plus prophecies about Jesus. Um, Zechariah 11 to me has always been the one that I just sit back and go, whoa, there, there is simply no getting around it. So Zechariah 11, I'll just read it very quickly, 12 and 13. Uh, then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not refrain, so they wait out for my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. That is fascinating to me because that is so obviously a prophecy and a, a call ahead to what? To the betrayal price of Jesus in Matthew 26, 30 pieces of silver. But it's not just that. We get from Zechariah that it was thrown down where? In the house of the Lord, also where Judas allegedly threw down the pieces of silver. And you also get what was the money in Matthew 27, 30 pieces of silver. What was it used for? To buy the potter's field. Go back and read what I just read in verse 13. The Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. 
So in a, again, Zechariah written right around 500 BC or so. So 500 years before this happens in, in just a two verse span, you get the betrayal price of Jesus, 30 pieces of silver. Once again, something you're not just going to randomly guess and luck into. You get where it was thrown down in the house of the Lord. And you get the fact that it was money that was used to buy the potter's field. Three elements, 500 years ahead of time. That's fascinating to me. That that's not something you can just get by 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 accident and get all those facts right. Right, a coincidence, and that's the, that's the thing about all these is one or two. Oh, that's coincidence. Yeah, you know, I guess he kind of fulfilled them. That's what a coincidence. There's like a dozen plus prophecies, and and three in in two verses, as you just talked about there. A dozen plus prophecies made more than that. I don't even know the number, but it's a lot of prophecies made about Christ. One, two, maybe maybe up to five. You could even say that's a coincidence that that happened to work out. These things are so stinking specific. 30 pieces of silver. Are you kidding? Wasn't 29, wasn't 31. It was specifically 30. So and it was silver, Bible, not gold or copper or something. Yeah. Right, right. And as you talked about the Septuagint going 250 BC-ish, somewhere around there, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls that are going, we have manuscripts dated BC, I believe. Dead Sea Scrolls are BC, correct? Um, I think they're dated a little before. Yes, so before the time of Christ that are proving, you know, that that have these things in there. So this was not gone, and, and this is what you hear from, well, they just went back and added it later. Or, oh, well, I don't know, but it's like, archaeologically, we know that they have these manuscripts with these very things before Christ was even born. What are the odds of that happening? Now, you'll accept, and a lot of these people accept evolution. They'll accept a big bang, accept a one in a quadrillion, bazillion, numbers that are way beyond me chance and they go well i guess boy we're lucky i guess it just we happened. sure are lucky yeah are you serious but you can't accept the fact that these odds are you know are, are basically the same like it is impossible statistically impossible to line so i don't know it's uh, once again are the is it a sword or is it a shield it's those that are militant against god they go that couldn't possibly be and i think the prophecy in the bible proves the accuracy that we can trust but jack get us into the second one in terms of scientific accuracy yeah, this is one of those things that we we look back on on how primitive people were before us, and I mean, you you look at medical science, and it wasn't that long ago, just a few centuries ago, that they figured out, yeah, we really need to wash hands when we're dealing with medical, uh, you know, uh, things like that, and and what we've learned about uh, sanitation, what we've learned about health, what we've learned about all kinds of things, the world and the universe and the stars, and it, I mean how we, we pat ourselves on the back to death for how scientifically advanced we are. And you go back to these people that we look at as, oh, these were just, you know, Bronze Age goat herders, people will say about the Bible's writers. And yet you have these verses in the Bible where they knew stuff that we just don't. They they There was a scientific foreknowledge of things that, again, we, we have not really come to until very recently in, in a lot of ways. And so... Uh, one of those that's that's very interesting is when you go to Genesis 17, when God is establishing the covenant of circumcision with Abraham, the instructions were very clear, and this continued throughout uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant. Every ma- uh, Genesis 17:12, every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. Now, you can get into like a lot of the, the symbological, symbolic, I guess would be the better word, uh, significance of the eighth day and the, the seventh day creation, and now it's starting again with a new male, a new generation, all of that. I, I think there's a lot there. I don't want to make the Bible strictly a science textbook, but it does have this side of it as well, that why the eighth day? 
Well, now we know why the eighth day. It's because the body you know, starts producing, I think it's the vitamin K, the blood clotting, uh, to where it's there, not Your dangerous. blood clotting factors are the highest on the eighth day. Oh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's skyrocketing. It's medically the, the best best day to do it, medically. How right. would they have known that? Right. Yeah, right. I mean, like, at, at the time, there was no test they could have run that said, yeah, the vitamin K is going to be higher here, do this now. Now we don't have to wait for the eighth day because they just give a shot that does the same thing that your body naturally does eight days later so you don't have to stay in the hospital eight days but again how would abraham out there wandering the wilderness in tents have, have had this scientific foreknowledge if not given to him divinely from above from the one who created the human body from the one that knew on the eighth day it's going to do that and so again I, it's not one of the traps we can fall into is making Bible, you know, purely a science textbook for this stuff. I think there's a lot more there, but it's certainly not less than this. This is very much baked into it of God knew something that, that we took a long time to find out. Another example real quick that we don't have on here in Deuteronomy 23. because there's, there's a lot of this in the old law of like the washing your hands and things you get into in the book of Numbers. But in Deuteronomy 23, God very clearly instructs the Israelites, you make sure and you bury waste, bury human waste. And that was something that in the Middle Ages, they didn't even, it's not that they didn't know, they just didn't practice. And that resulted in what? The Black Plague that killed untold millions of people. And if, again, if the Bible was written by these these alleged ignorant goat herders or whatever, without any kind of God-given inspiration, how would they have known all this scientific medical knowledge of, hey, you need to bury your waist and here's why. You need to wash your hands and here's why. You need to circumcise on the eighth day and here's why. We didn't discover this stuff for thousands of years, and we didn't confirm it medically and scientifically for another couple hundred years after that, and yet it was in the Bible, again, hundreds of years, thousands of years before it was even discovered. It's just stuff that you can't make up, once again, stuff that you can't get there without any kind of divine inspiration. I'm blanking on the reference, but you know, you referenced washing your hands, what he gives them, lye soap in the law, you know, how to make lye soap with the, the ashes. I guess numbers 19. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, up in the yeah. ashes of the, the heifer, yeah. Number 16, maybe. Yeah, like, how interesting is that, that we don't figure out what lysope is until, again, thousands of years later, and it's like, oh, hey, well, they had this all the way back then, which is perfect to them. Um, it talks about the paths of the sea in Psalm 8, verse 8, the circle of the earth in Isaiah 40, verse 22. One that um, I heard one guy mention one time about, uh, I always think it's interesting, where did we get the idea, because you were talking about numbers, Jack, where did we get the idea of a week? Like we know what what a year is around you know around the sun. We know what the month is. You can follow the lunar cycle, and that may be different for each people. But you can get what a day is, where the Earth turns around one time. Where do we get the idea of a, a week? All the way back. That's only through Scripture that we have it. Now that's not necessarily scientific accuracy per se, but it just goes to show with that we don't have there. There's no way to know. And seven, the number of completion you can get in all that. That's for different podcasts. But I just think all these things are interesting. Third, we can also get into if you guys are good with moving on from from the yeah. Real quick accuracy. though, I would just add to this the accusation, or I guess the statement that well, the Bible is no different than the Quran, the Book of Mormon, all this stuff. Everything that we're talking about here, you're not going to find anywhere in any kind of other ancient religious document. You're not going to find these prophecies and this scientific accuracy in the Quran. You're certainly not going to find it in the Book of Mormon. You're not going to find it in again some Buddhist document. I don't even know what they use. You're not going to find it there. That's what makes the Bible different. So just the, the the brash, bold statement of, well, the Bible is no different than all these other books that fool a lot of young people, statements like that fool young people into thinking that they just you know happen to, to fall into a religious group that believes the Bible, whereas another religious group just happens to believe the Quran and there's really no difference. 
it's not true. It's 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 patently not true that because you're not going to find any of this stuff in those other books. Sorry to interrupt you, Joe. You can well, move and on Joe, no, just a minute no, ago on the, on the prophecies you talked about. Well, you could say one or two is a coincidence, but when it starts heading up with this, like you can't even call it a coincidence. What is it? Well, a lucky guess. It was just a lucky guess yeah. about the eighth. Day. The that was just a lucky guess about it. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. That's a whole lot of lucky guesses, man, and and no wrong ones. Uh, if you're if you're guessing, by definition, you're going to get a lot wrong, and yet these were all right. Well, and he brought up the circle of the Earth passage Isaiah forty twenty two, talking about the and the, the orbit of the sun is the other one in Psalm nineteen we don't have on here, where it talks about the uh, the sun kind of having a circuit. And that was something that for centuries the scientific community would point at that verse and say, "Ha, see, the Bible got it wrong." because they, they didn't believe that the, the sun had an orbit. And then what do you know? Sure enough, we discover the sun does have an orbit. Sure enough, the earth is round. And so it's like, even in places where you think, oh, got gotcha type of thing, the Bible's wrong. It actually turns out to be right. Like Jack said, there is nothing where it's like, oh, they kind of got that one wrong. No, every single time, every single way that we can check, it does turn out to be right. That is a lot of coincidences. Well, and I had a page pulled up um, that I just went back to. I didn't want to misspeak when I said like a dozen or so. 300 or over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, the New yeah. Testament. Just wanted to bring that about in case somebody's like, oh, there's a bunch. I didn't want to misspeak and somebody come in and say, well, actually, there's not that many. No, there's over 300. Um, but yes, the scientific accuracy. Number three is the factual accuracy of the Bible. And we can find this in the fact that historians, archaeologists, things like that there, and we'll get into the archaeological discoveries. But there are 84 facts in the last 16 chapters of Acts that have been confirmed just by historians. Yeah. Just Acts alone, the book of Acts, because, you know, Paul's on his missionary journeys and he's going from all cities. There's dozens of places mentioned in Acts and things and, and such. 84 of those have been confirmed by historical and archaeological records. We're talking the cities, the names, the geographical information provided specifically. Luke takes, you know, he, he takes an interesting approach in giving us little specifics here and there. The snakes found on this. Things like that, that scientifically we go back and we look at it and historians we can prove this through history that these things took place you can prove through roman history that jesus was an actual man that not even our own historians you can prove through roman history that jesus existed you can look at josephus as a jewish historian he doesn't shy away from those things so from the fact you see the bible and once again i come back to you're talking 40 authors in three separate languages 1500 years apart there's not any contradictions. And even if you said there were contradictions, which there's not, even if you said there were, how likely is it that they would have, they would carry through some of the same lines all the way through things. And, and we're talking very interesting, all of the foreshadowing ahead of time, not even prophecies, but things like coming out of Exodus and us coming out of Exodus from our sin, right out of slavery of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea and coming into the promised land. And we pass, you know, through the Red Sea, quote unquote, baptism coming out of our slavery and into it, there are dozens and dozens of those examples in Scripture. Well, and the parallels of, of Jesus Himself coming out of Egypt, going into the wilderness, you know, after after passing through the sea, after. and you know, turning stones to bread. I mean, things like that. That, uh, and then He comes to the mountain, Sermon on the Mount, and gives the law to His people. I mean, like, uh, there's somebody writing a story but this is more than somebody writing a story is it somebody writing history uh, i mean like it, it yeah, just shows right. the the entire arc of the world has been crafted intentionally because there's a reason why those stories echo so well and while we're talking exodus you look at the plagues and how every single one of the plagues went against one of the egyptian gods right it, it's god like laughing at these smaller gods going yeah i'm more powerful than them and you may be able to keep up with a couple of these miracles 
you can't do all 10 plagues and it's it's destroying the egyptian god system getting it out of the people before they go i mean all of these things you look at it like we don't get into that too much in our evidences but the bible references itself so much and there's so much call ahead and such to things that take place in the new testament it's mind-boggling when you look at some of these things you look at joppa right and and you look at jonah escaping to joppa um and then we look is Peter when he's called to go back to the Gentiles. He's in Joppa, right? And so he's going back in Acts 10 to, to preach to Cornelius. Is that a coincidence that Joppa's mentioned both times in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles? One is running from and one is running to. And, and the juxtaposition from Jonah and Peter, there's so many things like that in Scripture that are mind-blowing that the factual accuracy of the Bible, the more you study it internally, not even the external of you study it internally, it's like this could not have possibly been made by anything other than a supernatural being working through the writings of men. Right. There's Ryan, one other so one I want to say before we go on to the argument that we didn't really cover that is it just hit me because Joe and I are teaching Revelation. And when you go into Daniel and the stuff about kind of the outlay of the, the statue and the, the beasts, the kingdoms that are going to come, and how you can look back, you know, with hindsight, we can look back on it and be like, yeah, that's Alexander the Great, and it was going to break up into his four generals and all this stuff. Stuff that unfolded for hundreds of years after Daniel died of you know the the they had the babylonians the medes and the persians the greeks then the romans and and then the church was going to come out in the time of the romans and all of those things that that just happened i mean like could you imagine somebody handing you a playbook of the next 700 years of history and then you know 700 years later people are looking at it like well i'll be it all came true like how crazy would that be and it happened it's right there i mean like there's just we could go on forever and so i, I just want to throw that one in as another cool one but uh, let's go on to the next point here because there's just too much. It is so overwhelming. Again, yeah, yeah, so much information. Um, so talk about archaeology, and this is where we'll we'll kind of this will be kind of the last section we talk about. Again, could have gone a half hour on each of these, um, but archaeological discoveries that prove the Bible. I think Joe, you already referenced the Dead Sea Scrolls, which you know for a while there, people would would make claims that. Uh, you know, the the English translation that we have now, it's just been changed so many times from the original language. And so there is no possible way that you can trust that what was written all those thousands of years ago is actually what you now hold in your hand. Well, then the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered when you've got the entire book of Isaiah, I think. Uh, and I've got the slides I'll pull up here in a second, but like the entire book of Isaiah that was was found as a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then what you see there is that Guess what? It matches, you know, the the what was written down in Hebrew back then matches exactly to what we read in our English translations today. Uh, the scrolls contain samples of all Old Testament books except Esther. The Dead Sea Scrolls took the Hebrew text back almost a thousand years from what it, you know, from the latest translation that we had. Guess what? Took it back a thousand years before that. Um, Forty thousand scrolls uh, fragments were found. Uh, Four hundred manuscripts, and all the scrolls were produced prior to sixty-seven A.D. So again, all these people that are that would make the claim, well, you can't trust what you're reading. The Dead Sea Scrolls were a huge discovery that said, yeah, we actually can trust that what we're reading is what was written down all those thousands of years ago. Um, you've got things like people who would claim, you know, the Bible would talk about the Hittites, that, you know, the, there was no evidence for the Hittites ever existing. And so people, again, skeptics would point at that and say, yeah, there you go. The Bible made up an, an entire group of people. Um, they're referenced in Genesis, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and First Kings, actually around 40 times the Bible references of the Hittites. And so for centuries, there was no physical evidence for the Hittites, giving the skeptics the platform to say, ah, guess what? The Bible made that up. 
And then in 1906, uh, the Hittite capital in present-day Turkey was discovered. There were 10,000 cuneiform tablets that were discovered, the entire Hittite code. Um, Again, archaeology confirmed, oh yeah, the Hittites did exist. The Bible had it right, and we as man and we as skeptics had it wrong. The Pilot inscription is another one. Oh, Pilot didn't exist. Well, then they found an inscription with Pilot's not only his name, but also his position. So many things we can get into here. The Pool of Siloam was another one that was found, again, just confirming things that were uh, recorded in the Bible. Again, there's a dozen more examples that you could get into here. But just it it starts to get to a point where the mountain of evidence is so high and it just continues to pile up and pile up to where, once again, you can't just look at it and say, well, I guess they got lucky. Or, oh, yeah, I guess it's a coincidence. Or, oh, yeah, they were really good at predicting things. The mountain's just too high. Here's what frustrates me. They find a pig's tooth and and the knuckle bone of of some uh, bird, you know, two miles away, <laughs> and they put together this is a missing link. The missing link, and right? You're you're kidding me, right? First off, why are you celebrating one? You need millions of these things to prove evolution, but these people hang on to this stuff. You find three bones that they can't exactly explain in anywhere like a mile apart from one another. And they are willing to go to such great lengths to push this on the front of Newsweek or whatever it is, right? We found this. And these are big, quote unquote, discoveries. The Bible is, you're talking thousands of manuscripts that have been found that are, if they do deviate, we're talking like a comma where there shouldn't have been, you know, they didn't really it's, have yeah, grammatical like you know deviations. What I mean? Yeah. Grammatical deviations, things stuff, like yeah. that, that are so minor. Do you think people know about this? No, they know. Uh, three bones that made up Lucy like it's unbelievable to me that they will be willing to believe that but the Bible which is the most tested book of all time we have how many copies do we have of uh, Gaelic Wars Caesar's Gaelic Wars uh correct what is it like Simple 10 digits. copies yeah uh Plato and of all course, those guys and, yeah. and Plato and right we have single digits at most maybe 20 of these and nobody ever nine nobody ever questions the and some of those the earliest manuscripts we have go back to 900 AD and yet you don't hear anybody go oh well that's not accurate of course it's passed down too long it's corrupted we We can't trust it they they still teach it in the universities they still you know make kids read it in school BC on right we're talking BC on biblical manuscripts and people won't believe it back to our point you have a lot of people, it's the jackets, you're it's perfect illustration, you know, Jonathan Heights, but with the elephant, they don't believe. And so they go toward these specific, they go toward evolution, they go toward atheism, and then their heart or their mind basically tells them what right to do it. Why is the heart not right? Why is the why is the head not convinced by these things? It's because the heart's driving the elephant. This I look at it like slam dunk, man. We could have stopped on the first one. Dunk. We just gave four things of the prophecy, the scientific evidences, the factual accuracies within and outside scripture, and the archaeological evidence. And this is like you said, Will. We could have gone off on an entire episode. Yeah, we just did this in 25 minutes. To prove it. Yeah. Well, and exactly. you know, you say it, it's, so, it's hard to believe, like the the people are this stuck up or you know stuck on on these points and and making it so difficult and putting the Bible as such a rigorous standard and then so willingly believing anything else. But you're exactly right about the elephant thing, and it's the head and the heart thing of of course they're acting this way. They desire more than anything to believe anything else, so anything that will give them a shred of hope that the Bible is wrong, they're running towards it. Any, you know, Anything that will um, give them what they feel like is validity in their questioning of the Bible, okay, let's roll with it. Let's, let's you know, stick to that. Well, 
It doesn't work that way, and that just shows why the gospel has to lead. It has to be the heart that's convicted, and then once it is, then you can come back around and be like, oh, and by the way, this is all true, too. But if you don't have their right. heart, because as it's been said before, if you don't believe in God, I think this was Chesterton or somebody like that, that it, you know, the one who doesn't believe in God, it's not that he believes in nothing, it's that he believes in anything. He'll believe anything, because mm-hmm. you have to. You have to grab onto something, and so you'll take the dumbest thing, as you're saying, the Lucy, you know, and the missing links and all those things, man, people will run for literally anything to not believe God. Why? I would because say- if you can trust the Bible, and if what we're saying is true, something's required of you. You well, can't sit still can't. and go, well, that's, that's why you want to. That's why I pointed exactly. to Romans one thirty two. They know that they deserve death for these things. And right. man, if you if that's if you know that accepting this belief system means I deserve to die and I have to give my life up and, and follow him, okay, let me find another reason not to believe that because boy, I don't I don't like that. That's pretty uncomfortable. Right. I want to encourage all parents that are that are listening to this. Um, and maybe maybe you've heard this some of this stuff before. Maybe you've sat there again a, a lecture or read a book about it. Make sure your kids know. Make sure your kids who who are have been raised in the church, they've been at you know at the building every time the doors are open, type of thing. Make sure they know we don't just have blind faith in the Bible because that's something. You know, once again, that I firmly believe because I was raised in a home where this was talked about quite a bit to the point where, you know, I, I had a lot of this stuff memorized. I've never doubted the Bible and that's not to pat myself on the back, but it's because those things were taught to me. You've got a lot of young people now that are, again, not the ones that, as we've talked about, they want to doubt because they want to live however they want to No, just, just kids who they're, they, they hear the stuff and they're like, mm, do we really know for sure? Are there contradictions, which we'll talk about in a different episode? You know, is, is this really something we can trust? They have these questions. They want to know. We need to provide them with answers. We need to provide them with this evidence. We need to make sure that they grasp, yes, we have faith, but our faith is backed by these things. And so, again, I want to encourage all parents, listen to this, make sure your kids know. Make sure your kids are are privy to this information. Make them read books like, again, Convicted Brad here. uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is another one I would highly recommend that that details a lot of this stuff. I don't know if you guys have any book recommendations. Uh, Case for Creator, The Case for Christ, those are really good as well. But there are young people can be so easily fooled into ah, you guys just believe in ancient religion. That's tradition. That's old fashioned. There's, there's nothing backing it. Make sure that, that if they are going to, to go into college and go into the world with, you know, people attacking the Bible and attacking their, make sure that they have, again, that shield to where they can defend themselves from those things. Anything you guys would add to that? Just for resources. If you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of, of kind of how the Bible got passed down and, you know, shore up that this was not just some slapped together thing again by Bronze Age goat herders or whatever the the critique is. Uh, we had Dr. Denny Petrillo on last year, and I think it's free. World Video Bible School, his How We Got the Bible course. Uh, I think that'd be fantastic for uh, high school classes, for your, whether for your church, you know, your youth classes, or if you're homeschooler, uh, go through that. Shore up, you know, of of how it got inspired and the inerrancy and transcribed and passed on and and to the the canon that we have today the 66 books which we're going to get into a little bit at some point uh, might have to well i don't know probably next week i don't know um but if you really want an in-depth dive we can't do that in in one hour here uh, i think it's like a 13 part course or something uh and so that is a really great resource i would recommend uh for for church bible classes or, or whatever use um joe you have anything yeah, make sure to pick up Convicted, too, if you don't. Dr. Brad's book, um, 
Fantastic. Uh, we've talked about it before, obviously. Uh, I think that's one of the best Christian evidences books for all things. Now, Jack, you're, you're exactly all right. right. All right. I'll make a command topic. decision. Yeah, uh, I'm going to make a command decision. You guys have both mentioned it enough. Uh, coupon code deeper will get you five bucks off convicted. So there you go. We're going to do that for our listeners. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Uh, Brad <laughs> listens. And so I'm not pulling one over here. Uh, it, uh, hopefully that's going to be okay. But uh, yeah. Uh, get a get a five dollar off. He listens to some. It's so funny. We were talking about this just real quick before. Uh, I think we were talking about it last night. Brad will come up to us and be like, "You guys should totally do an episode on <laughs> XYZ." Fill in the blank, and then we'll be like, "Yeah, we did an episode on that four weeks ago. Like, he did that when we did transgenderism. Yeah, you guys have got to do an episode on this. Like, yeah, we did three weeks right. ago. So I think he go. does listen, yeah. but not every time. Yeah. So you're saying that sometimes Brad Harib is a deep thinker, and sometimes he's not. Sometimes, so, okay. yeah, not all the time. Yeah. All right. So shout <laughs> out. To Brad. We need him to uh, subscribe to. We need him to subscribe to Focus Plus. Yeah. Get all this <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> See what we're up to over there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. So yeah, no, uh, what did I say the code was? Deeper? Now that I say that, I'm going to have to actually deeper. go set that up so that it, it gives you deeper. the discount. Yep. But uh, uh, yeah, promo code DEEPER for uh, uh, a discount on Brad's book if you're wanting to shore up your apologetics. Let me let me preview next week because obviously we are 55 minutes in and we had a couple more questions we wanted to get to that we're not going to be able to. The question of contradictions is one that gets thrown up a lot. Um, young people can stumble across websites that, you know, have 101 alleged contradiction or contradictions in the Bible and whatever. And there are, a lot of them are just ridiculous. When you look at them, it's like, okay, give me a break. Like, obviously these people have never read the Bible, but there are some that could pretty easily fool a young person into thinking, Oh, that seems pretty legitimate. That seems like a direct contradiction. And so what we want to do, I'm assuming, guys, with next week's episode, I don't think we want to have one in between, um, we're going to look at a lot of these alleged contradictions. We're going to look at, uh, again, not the dumb ones where it's like, okay, the, the they'll, they'll put the Ark dimensions from Genesis 6 and then the Ark of the Covenant dimensions in Exodus and say, see, the, the dimensions aren't exactly the same. It's like, duh, there's two different Arks, you know, give me a break. There's a lot of them like that. But again, there, there's a handful where young people have been fooled into thinking, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a direct contradiction. So we're going to address a lot of that in, in next week's episode episode, we'll probably just pull up a website and kind of go down the list on some because we need to have the answers as well. Another question we wanted to get into, what about extra books in the Bible? You'll hear that claim made as well, that we don't have all the books or that some of the books were added or, or whatnot. Um, anything else you guys want to mention to kind of preview next week? Again, to try to jam pack all this information into one episode, we feel like we're not doing it due, uh, doing it its uh, due diligence. And so that's what we're going to be talking about next week, the alleged contradictions. You know, what are what are extra books? Are there any extra books that maybe we don't have from the Bible? I'm sure we'll come up with a few other questions that we'll hit next week. But anything else to add for, for that, you guys? Not for that, but as we wrap up, what do you think? We're, we're going to throw out to you guys, sword or shield? I think that's a good question to, to kind of kick you off of. What do you think? apologetic should be do you think it should be a sword or both um we've given our answers on what we think but maybe some stories to share something that uh you know has has hit you maybe you were converted by it kind of board and, and you have a story to tell whatever it is we want to hear from you guys as well so we're going to put that out there we've said where we stand we want to know where you stand on some of those things and uh fellas if you're good with it I'm just putting it out there i don't think we talked about it but we haven't yeah, done a group think think in a while so that, that'll some, be a good one i know we want to get some discussion going. So, fellas, without anything else. All right. Well, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.